for people that don't know who Bishoy is, um, he was featured on a lot of the largest Instagram pages in the world recently, went viral, <laughs> hundreds of millions of views for his transformation, uh, losing over 160 pounds over the last few years. And we're going to talk about a how he got to a point where he felt like he needed to lose that much weight, how he lose that much weight, how he lost that much weight, and what he learned in the process of of doing so. And so we'll dive into that first. If there's any uh, background you want to, you know, give um, who you are, anything you want to like a like an elevator pitch of who you are and what you talk about. Yeah, man. Uh, definitely. Thank you for having me. First of all, I've been watching your stuff for a long time and it was like dope that you hit me up because I was like, man, this guy's content is so it hits it hits home, man. So I was like, damn, I, I'm happy to be here. But uh, yeah, man, just a quick elevator pitch. I mean, I was just a guy ran a business, got fat as hell and just tried decided I needed to change my life or else I couldn't keep living like that. And it's basically my two second elevator pitch of why why like I went viral was for the transformation but in the end it's like all the things that you learn along the way is what turns you into the person a completely different person and so what you guys see on the front end is a physical transformation but on the back end is like a huge huge tenfold mental transformation so that's basically what it is awesome so you said that you started the business first so a lot of the guys in here um are interested in business. And, and I'm curious about that too, as to a, what your business is. Cause I did a little bit of research. I didn't mm -hmm. want to do, I didn't want, I didn't, I try to keep this as conversational as possible. Cause I actually want to, you know, have the conversation. Like it's a real conversation, like yeah, I'm yeah. just meeting you. Um, so I did minimal research, but I know that you started a business called Truewood. Truewood. Right? Yeah. You got it. Yeah. You got All right. It. And that that's basically you sell watches and other wooden accessories. Um, so tell me how you got started in that. So since we're gonna we'll go in chronological order. Yeah, so I started that in 2016 with one of my boys from college, just last semester of school. We just didn't want to take our jobs after school. Like we had jobs lined up. We did a bunch of co-op semesters where we'd like get to experience the field a little a little. I was in computer science, so I got like a computer background in business. I was another second degree I was working toward and yeah, man, last semester of school, we're just like, I don't, we don't want to work nine to five. We want to take this into our own hands and be like every minute we put into our business will yield dividends to ourselves personally rather than someone else. And so started playing around with a bunch of stuff and ended up starting Truewood in 2016. And it took off, man. And we didn't have to take our jobs after school anymore. And yeah, that was like the downfall of my physical life, but the, 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 rise of my money quote unquote and so what why the watch business what made you what made you get into that honestly man we both really liked watches growing up like the first thing i got when i got with my allowance was a watch growing up and so like it we just it just kind of something that resonated with us but we just wanted to find something cool to sell online that was just like it's not as sexy of a story of where like you know i grew up with this huge passion for watches and stuff like that it was just a matter of how do i make money online um, and this was back in when everything was the dropship boom. Everyone was dropshipping every little thing that you could think of. So we tried a bunch of different products. And I'm, I'm not even going to lie. We did start with dropshipping. Like Truewood was the dropshipping company when it first started. But we only did that for three months just to get enough capital to actually build a real company. 
And so as soon as we had enough capital and bootstrapped everything, we invested in um, designers and creating our own designs from scratch. We went out to China, built our own products there, stayed there for a couple months, worked hand in hand with our suppliers to actually craft the products and make sure they they're actually up to par with what we wanted to sell and not just some random shitty product that we were slapping a logo on. Um, and yeah, that's what we did. And that's kind of why we started true. Interesting. So this is something I kind of wanted to talk about with you because you and Andy and a lot of the other guys that I talked to, they know the difference between some bullshit drop shipping operation and a real business. Mm-hmm. So can you speak a little bit about the difference and why you and what you would say to a young guy who because I get these questions all the time, how do I make money online? And I think they're mm-hmm. asking the my my typical response is you're asking the wrong question, mm-hmm. right? You're asking, how do I make money online? The better question is, how do I provide value to the world? Right. Mm-hmm. And so just speak a little bit to that and why you like you said, started out as sort of that drop shipping operation and why you wanted to start, switch it to a quote unquote real company. Mm-hmm. And both, like I said, the advice you'd give to somebody who wants to start the drop shipping kind of side hustle, quote unquote, and why it's important for them to actually focus on building a real company. Yeah. Listen, I have nothing against drop shipping. If it's a way for you to get your money up so you can invest it in something else that builds something on the back end. But at the end of the day, buying a shitty product, slapping a logo onto it, selling it to the end customer is not a way to build a real company that you can actually stand for. Cause it's not you making the product. You're not, you have no say in how it's done. You're literally just a reseller with a, that's faking it by slapping a logo on there. Some people weren't even at back in that day in 2016, you weren't even slapping a logo on it. You were literally shipping someone else's product with their logo, pretending like it's yours. And at the end of the day, man, that, that note that you just said is when you shift from making, adding value to people's life, rather than how can I make more money is the way you make more money. It, It becomes the way of how you make more money because when you actually want to add, people only pay for convenience and value. So yep. they're, they're not going to pay you for anything else. And so if you're not doing that at the end of the day, you're just, you, you might make some money quick, 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 a uh, couple bucks and, and flip it, but you will not be able to sustain that long-term. And look what happened to all the drop shipping businesses now. Like I, I honestly don't even know. I haven't seen anyone come out with anything lately. Um, everyone has caught on to it. It was just a bubble that burst. And like, bro, back then in 2016, everyone and their mother had a drop shipping good business. Like everyone I knew, as soon as we started seeing success, I, I, like 10 of our friends started it. People's moms like genuinely started it with their mother and they just popped up stores and it wasn't learning any business practices that actually keep a business alive. And so all these little quick hacks, conversion gimmicks, all these things that people push in the drop shipping world, like fake sales, pretend like you have 90% off on your site 24 seven, fake countdown timers on your site that never run, they, they, they just forever run, they get to zero and they restart back at 24 hours. All these little gimmicks that people do are designed to get you quicker sales. And don't get me wrong, bro, they work, they work in the short term. It's like, but at the end of the day, man, you're not building a company. You're not building anything that adds value. It has no soul to it. And that's what keeps customers buying from you. So you might be able to get that first sale, 
but you will never get that guy again. He had a shitty experience. You didn't, he didn't feel valued. And all you're doing at that point is building a bargain bin. It's a bin that people dip their hands in, pull the first product out, pay a discounted price for it and just dip. That's it. Yeah. It's not going to, it's not going to create any word of mouth or anything like that. You're just going to be another one of those online businesses that you bought rent something from randomly that one day. Exactly, man. And actually I was just having this conversation about with one of my boys the other day is like, he recommended to me like an Orbi, which is like just something that amplifies your Wi-Fi network if you have a big house. And I recommended this to him. And within 10 seconds, he bought it. And it's a pretty expensive item. It's like five, 600 bucks. And he just bought it on the spot within 10 seconds. And that's how great word of mar- word of mouth marketing is because instead of you having to do the research yourself as a as like a first time buyer you tr- your trusted friend or someone who's recommending it to you has done that research for you and so it literally takes away any of the buying decision process completely you just literally just go in 10 seconds he bought a $700 item without doing a single bit of research because he trusts my word because we're boys. And so that is the power of word of mouth marketing. You don't even have to invest as much into marketing when you got a whole little posse, a little army that's repping, pushing your shit because everyone is trusting those people because it's someone they actually know, not some influencer on the internet or not some ad they saw on the internet. And so word of mouth marketing is highly undervalued because you can't pay for it in a sense. Like you can't just click a couple buttons, pump a budget up on Facebook ads or Google ads and get that wide reach. It's something that has to be worked for, something that has to be worked for to maintain as well. You can't just do it once and it's done. And so that's why no one really talks about it because it's not as sexy and it's not as easy to do because you actually have to build something on the back end that merits that word of mouth marketing. And that's the, and, and, the other side of the reason why people don't like to hear answers like that is because it takes time to develop because mm-hmm. you not only have to actually take the time for someone to buy the product, consume the product, have a good experience with the product, then then share it, which takes time mm-hmm. that, and, and then that, that, that spreading of the word takes time, but also mm-hmm. you're not going to have a good product to start out. Mm-hmm. You, rarely mm-hmm. ever are you going sure. to have a good product to start out. So you're going to have to continually develop it to, to, to mm-hmm. even get your product in a position where it's good enough to warrant that word of mouth. But mm-hmm. you're hundred percent right because 99% of my buying decisions are because someone else told, told me to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's rarely ever that I see an ad and I'm like, I'm going to go buy that thing. It, it all ads really do is create general awareness of your, of your, of your product. Uh, but I can't tell you how many Ninja creamies I've sold yeah. just by telling people how amazing I think it is. Yeah. You know, exactly. And like I've literally gotten people to buy more first form supplements and more, more Ninja creamies just by like ranting and raving about them. Yeah. You know, than I have yeah. by posting a, posting a, Instagram story for sure. Know? Like that's, that's what it boils down to, but I'm glad it's genuine. About that. Yeah, it's genuine. And yeah. um, I'm glad you talked about that because, you know, if the, if there's a, if there's one question that I receive more than anything, it is, how do I make money online? How do I start? Like, d- will this business model work? And I'm like, you're mm-hmm. asking the wrong question. Mm-hmm. Any business model will work if you're providing enough value to the consumer period, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. 
it's more about the jockey than it is the horse because for sure. if Alex Hormozzi started SMMA or if Alex Hormozzi started drop shipping or if, you know, Andy Frisella started Amazon FBA, mm-hmm. they're going to be pretty successful with it because mm-hmm. they understand the process. They understand that you have to provide maximum amount of value to the consumer. And uh, it it's, no business model is going to work if you aren't the right person doing it and you don't have the right approach. So um, I'm glad you talked to me, but um, let's, let's talk more about the, uh, the reason I I wanted you to come in here, which is the, which is the transformation. Um, So how did you, were you always, as many people say, like a fat kid at heart? Yeah, no. Well, I grew up as the fat kid. I was, oh, I wasn't huge, but I was chubby. Like I remember in grade seven, I was like 70 kilograms. I was in my grandma's house in, in Egypt visiting for one time. And I hopped on that scale and it said 70 kg in grade seven, bro. That's like what, 160 or something. Wow. Like, that's heavy. And so, um, yeah, I was, I was grew up as a fat kid up until about grade 10, 16 years old. And then at 16, I'm like, bro, if I'm going to get any girls, it all starts with girls when you're that young. If I'm like, bro, if I'm going to get any girls, I got to lose some weight. So I ended up losing 80 pounds in six months just by running around my high school track on lunch while everyone was like in like eating, messing around in the cafeteria. I would run around the high school track, quickly eat a, a quick sandwich, go back to class. And then after class, I would at the end of the day, we had a weight room at our gym or at our school. So I just hit the weight room for an hour. And I did that for six months, lost 80 pounds. And I got down to like 180 pounds in grade by grade, like by halfway through grade 10. And from grade 10 to about 22 years old, man, like I lived and breathed fitness. That was my life. I, it was everything. Like I would go home, watch Ronnie Coleman videos, watch like Phil yeah, buddy. all those guys. Yeah, man, exactly. <laughs> so I would do that all the time. And like, that was my life. And then, you know, the business just took over. Um, And that's obviously an excuse looking back now. I had the time to do that. It just slowly slipped away and it doesn't happen overnight. No one gets to 350 pounds overnight, but it's a series of incorrect decisions, small decisions that seemingly don't matter, but they do matter. And those add up and stack up and, you know, year after year, you know, because when you first gain a ton of weight, I gained like 120, 130 pounds in a year, the first year that I started my business and I got to 350 pounds. And when you first skip a workout or your first skip a meal, you still or, or eat a shitty meal. You still have that guilt because you're still anchored to that old identity of being the fitness guy. Yeah. So you have that guilt. You have that you, you have that thing that's anchoring you there. And so, you know, over time that voice of guilt, the voice of reason, which is supposed to steer you in the right direction starts fading and it starts fading and it starts fading. And then before you know it, that's how people, before you know it, quote unquote, is how people get to 350 pounds overnight. And they're like, Whoa, how did I get here, bro? It's like, no man, you made a series of shitty decisions that seemed small over an extended period of time that you lost all sense of guilt and all sense of critically analyzing what you're doing it just became autopilot and that's how i got to 350 pounds yeah i mean that's that's and it works both ways and i'm sure we're going to talk about that that Mm. you know nothing happens overnight you don't get to 350 pounds overnight you don't you don't change your life overnight Mm. and um so explain for those that haven't experienced 
that, like what, what was life like as a 350 pound man? Bro, it's one thing too. Like that, that's a good point. It's like, it, it's one thing to be 350 pounds, but you were always 350 pounds. It's another thing to have experienced what it was like to be a healthy fit guy on top of his shit and then going to a 350 pound guy because in some ways it's almost worse because once you peek behind the curtain of what it was like to have a good life and then you got to go back to being a nobody or go back to doing something that you shouldn't be doing that is almost harder because it's like ignorance is almost bliss in a sense that you don't if you don't know what life's like you can continue on in the sense of how your regular life is but if you do know what it could be like and you still are making these wrong decisions on a daily basis that guilt eats away at you and so bro life got pretty pretty fucked back then like man it was just like i was so lazy it was it was it's like i can't even comprehend the stuff that i would do like i would wake up instantly a roll over in my phone hit up the uber eats app while i'm in bed order a ton of food and just wait for it to come and then i would go on the balcony smoke a ton of cigarettes drink a bunch of coffee and just wait bro and then the food would come to my door i'd go get it that was the only exercise i did all day was literally the walk up from my bed or the couch to the door to grab the food i'd go back in bed or sit on the couch work on my laptop all day or watch random shit on YouTube all day while I'm eating that food. And that was my life for, I don't know, from 2023, 20, I guess, to 27. So almost four or five years, bro. And like, I'd be sitting on the couch. Like, this is, this is just a testament to how lazy I was. I would be sitting on the couch, super thirsty, like just waiting for someone else to get up. So I could be like, yo, get me some water. So I didn't have to get up. And Bro, at 350 pounds, you can get up. It it's not like it's not like you were 700, 800 pounds where it actually like immobilizes you. But that's just the sheer level of laziness I was. And yo, everything just everything was how can I conserve as much calories as possible? Almost like I did not want to move. I'd walk. My boys would go to restaurants. We'd have like a restaurant night out literally be across the street. Like I could see it like five minute walks. I could see the restaurant and I would hop in an Uber. They'd get there first. And they would get the table while while walking and I would Uber there. It was just so lazy, man. And there were so many like things along the way that were supposed to be wake up calls that never ended up being wake up calls. Like my first time going to Hawaii, just getting on that airplane, sitting down and trying to suck in to close the seatbelt. And there's no room like it was not closing. I had to ask the flight attendant for a seatbelt extender she comes gives it to me in front of everyone it's so embarrassing and then instead of changing after that i just developed another lazy way to do it which was instead you know how the flight attendant who's waiting at the door when you're coming into the airplane yeah. i would just whisper to her and be like can i get a seatbelt extender so she'd give it to me on the spot and then i would walk it to my seat rather than having to have everyone see me ask in front of everyone and so instead of changing bro i just found little hacks that made made me less embarrassed like just so such lazy mentality and that, that was life for four or five years and so what was the what was the actual wake-up call well bro the, the actual wake-up call is going to sound stupid but it it's like just like the final straw that broke the camel's back which was we went on a trip to mexico and uh it was prime COVID, so no one was on the resorts. It was just like a bunch of old people. And so it stopped being a turn up party 
trip where we would just drink all day eat like shit all day and it just became let's explore the city let's go do activities all these activities i couldn't do it would literally hurt my back to walk for five minutes because of how heavy i was and also because of how how little i moved and so um yeah even my even like they wanted to do jet skis or like um atvs and all that stuff and even those stuff was tough to hold myself up on that thing and so when I came back from that vacation, I'm like, bro, the, the, I cannot live like this for the rest of my life. I couldn't even enjoy a vacation. And luckily, my boy had had done 75 hard the year before in November. And uh, he, he was going for his round two. And he asked me, like, yo, do it with me. And I had seen his results. I'd seen what he's achieved, not even just physically, because he did go through a pretty good uh, physical transformation. But mentally, his business was doing better. He became a guy who doesn't take shit anymore. Like he commits to his word and all these things, all these traits are things that I wanted. I wanted back at least because I had them at one point and, you know, I did 75 hard and then I just kept doing 75 hard for literally two years. I would take a weekend off in between um, rounds and just kept going. And so when you were at your heaviest before we move into like the actual process of transforming, like what was your mental state? like because obviously you know you were lazy you were you were finding these workarounds to 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 avoid facing your reality and where mm -hmm. you've where you've come to um but in terms of like your day-to-day -day mental like how you your mental health for lack of a better mm -hmm. term mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. did you experience any symptoms of what a lot of people would consider anxiety or depression or anything like that yeah so at the beginning no like for the first two years or maybe three, no, but there was one moment was like, this was the scariest moment of my life where I'm just sitting down on my computer working. And then all of a sudden I see this like white flashing light in my eye. So I'm like, what is this? Like I go to the washroom, see if I have something in my eye. I'm looking at the mirror and a huge gush rushes down my entire body. And I'm thinking I'm having a stroke or like a heart attack. I call my boy I'm like, yo, yo, I'm having a heart attack. Call 911 because I didn't want to pass out and have them not know where I was or anything was happening. So I called him first. I was so scared. I bust out the door. I go downstairs, meet the paramedics out front of the building. And I'm in the now I'm in the ambulance strapped to a shit ton of machines like they're checking my heart, my EKG and everything. And I'm sitting in the gurney. And my heart rate's at 180 beats per minute, just sitting down in that gurney. And I'm like, bro, what is going on? I'm calling my brother. I'm, I'm like telling him like, yo, I'm dying. I love you. I call it to say bye to mom and dad. Like I was, that was it. Like I thought my life was over. We get to the hospital. They're doing every single test in the book on me. I'm there all day, literally like 12 hours. They're doing all this blood work, all these heart tests on me. And they come back and they say, nothing is wrong with me physically. Like I'm, I'm all right physically, but my heart rate's still super high. And it turns out it was just a panic attack. And it was my first ever one. I've never experienced anything like that. But once I don't know if I don't know if this is a thing, but once you have one and you become acclimated to that and that's like you, you it, it made me at least super hyper fixated on every little twitch in my body, 100%. every little heart rate thing. Yeah. So every little thing like my heart would start palpitating just from too much coffee or even the anxiety is causing the heart palpitations. And I would think I'm having a stroke or a heart attack. Every little twitch would set me off to down like a downward spiral. <clears throat> and the weird thing is, bro, for a whole year after that, I had panic attacks almost every single day. 
And it, it was because I was not confident in my health, number one. Number two, all this pent up guilt for not doing what I was supposed to be doing for the last five years finally caught up to me. It had to get released somehow and, and like physiologically, like just had a panic attack. And then I just lived with anxiety for a whole year after that. Like every day, literally, I would have a full ass, I'm going to die type of panic attack. I can relate to that so much because when I first, when I first moved to Florida, um, I'm originally from Boston. And so I moved to Florida in 2019, no, 2018, we moved down here, but that entire year, uh, that's where my, that's where my anxiety really got to the point kind of where you're talking about. I had my first like legit panic attack, um, while driving on the way, uh, to Florida by myself. Jeez, and um every single day thereafter i became the webmd guy like i was mm -hmm. always i was always searching for you know oh what's what's this right here because i have a i have a little cyst right here mm -hmm. and i'm like what's that what's that and of course like i'm not taking care of myself at this point um i'm not overweight but you know i'm just like not eating i'm not i'm not exercising i'm not going outside i'm not connecting with people. I'm just like isolated in this little, you know, cave. And, uh, and I'm, I'm constantly anxious about my health. And the worst thing, the worst thing that I did was move in with a, because when I first got here, we moved in with our friends and that one of them is a, uh, uh, physician's assistant. Mm -hmm. So I would be always texting him. What does this mean? What does that mean? What does this mean? And so I kind of came to the same conclusion that you did, uh, which is like, okay, like if I'm going to the, the, the overarching question here is like, okay, I'm not in control if certain things happen, right? If I have a brain aneurysm, I'm not in control of that. If I come down with cancer, I'm not in control of that, but I am in control of certain things as it pertains mm -hmm. to my health, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and what, like you said, it kind of came down to like a, a lack of confidence in your health. It's like, well, you have to fix that. And, um, so I just want to, I just wanted to go on that tangent just because I relate to that so much. I just yeah. being, having health anxiety, be having a panic attack every single time that you find something and thinking that the panic attack is related to the thing that you found. Yo, trust. That's exactly it. And bro, when you said that WebMD thing, it literally triggered that memory. Cause bro, I lived on WebMD, like every little thing I was just Googling. How, what is this? And yo, everything online is like, you're dying. Like you Google everything. everything. <laughs> so it's just like, and then I would spiral and I would go down and down like crazy rabbit hole for hours, just trying to rationalize. Cause Yo, when you're going through that, you don't want to accept that it is anxiety. You don't want right. to accept it. You want to associate it with some sort of actual thing that's happening to you because that's the quote unquote easier thing to do because mm -hmm. it's easier to believe that I don't have to do anything about it. It's easier to believe it's not in my control. It's because of a physiological thing that's wrong with me than it is to be like, no, bro, what is happening to you is you are mentally not there anymore. Like you're mentally not happy with your place and it's in your control to fix it because that yep. puts the onus of fixing it on you, which is not something you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, and um, what was I going to say? One of the things that I, oh, I remember. Even now, 
even years later, I still have those moments. And I don't know if you do too, where like, you know, you have a twitch, you have a, a cyst you find on your arm, you have a new freckle that popped up or something, mm-hmm. right? Like you have something that makes you go back to that place. Um, but you build sort of lines of defense in your, in your brain in terms of like, okay, I found this thing, you know, we've, we've been here before we found things before and you sort of go through this conversation with yourself. It's like, okay, let's, let's give it a week. Nothing's Mm going to happen in a week, probably, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we'll give it a week. And if I'm still worried about it, then, then, then we'll think about the next step, but I'm just going to give it a week. And then of course, a week later, I'm not even thinking about it anymore. Exactly. And so it's not that these, and this is why I tell people that have anxiety. Like it's not that it ever goes away. It's just, you learn how to deal with it. You learn, Mm -hmm. you learn, your brain's tricks that, that, mm-hmm. that, that it plays on itself. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you can observe those things and learn the, the, the tricks that your brain plays on you, then you know what to look out for and you know, what's real and what's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you become grounded in a, in a sense of reality versus, you know, just letting your thoughts spiral into like downward areas that probably are not likely going to happen, bro. And so like, you're able to pull yourself back and start thinking rationally because you're anchored to reality or you're anchored to your confidence in your health. If that is the reason for your anxiety. So for example, like if I were to spiral and like think my heart rate's getting too high, for example, I'm just sitting down. I have references of me running when I was 350 pounds where my heart rate would go up to 208 and nothing would happen. And so all these experiences you can reference back to and be like nothing happened then why is it going to happen now when i was in worse conditions then and that's literally why right now man like i chase the hardest thing to do to make my regular life easier and have myself anchored to these memories where i've done more difficult things than i'm currently going through right now and i still survived so why can't i survive this little thing yep exactly um cool so you your friend invites you to do 75 hard for the first time. Uh, were you, when you started doing 75 hard that very first time, was that, I just want to clarify the, the time your friend invited you to do it, you did it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Were you one of those people that said, I'm going to try 75 hard or were you committed to it from the jump? At the beginning, I was like, we'll see where it goes, but I had no intention of quitting but I was, I wasn't confident that I would finish, but I would, I just hopped in, but it wasn't like, I'm going to try it. I was committing to it, but at the same time, it was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this forever. Mm -hmm. But as you, as you continuously pass days and days and days and days, you gain that confidence that carries you to the finish line of 75 hard. But yeah, I never said like, I'm going to try it and not wanting to full heartedly commit to it from the beginning. And the first time you did it, did you you completed all 75 days. Yeah. Like to this day, anytime I've done one of the 75 hard or any of the phases, I've never failed any of them wow. because I was so committed and I've done three 75 hards, three phase ones, and like probably eight or 10 phase twos. So it's like, yeah. and I've never done, I've never not done it. And the reason is like, Maybe the like, people go through some shit that will stop them from being able to do it. That is the thing. I, I got blessed that I never had that other than things that were in my control. Like there's other yes. situations where you physically, like you cannot do it. You have things happen that are outside your control and that's okay. 
but I got blessed that I had no, none of those situations. Everything was in my control. And so I've never failed any phase of 75 hard or any of the phases after. Yeah. That's certainly not something I can say. Cause I, yeah. I made it 55 days the first time. And yeah. then I made it like 45 days. And then eventually on the third, third or fourth attempt, I actually completed it. So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, no, that's cool that you have never failed. That's, that's quite an accomplishment because not many people can say that even the people that have completed it, you know, like it usually takes them once or twice or three times to actually follow through with it. At least in my experience. Look at it it this way, man. I think actually what is more impressive is that you have failed three times and still finished it because after the first time you failed, you have that reference of, I made it to day 55. And so when you, day 56 comes, when day 57 comes, you feel like you've made it a little further and you've already quit once or quit. I'm not, I'm not saying like whatever happened, happened, whatever, but you've already failed or quit once. So it's easier to quit and fail again versus when I'm so attached to never failing that from the first time and getting to finish it all the way through, that is almost easier than what you had to do because you, you, you have that reference of, Oh man, I I've quit last time. Why don't I quit this time? Right. So it's almost more impressive that you failed it three times before you finished it completely, man. Yeah. 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 Um, so at what point in the pro talk to me about after you completed 75 hard the first time, what, where was your mind at and where did you f- just, where was your mind at in general? Bro, the level of confidence that program have get, has given me, I can't even put it into words. Like, I'm not talking social confidence or any sort of confidence, like in the outside social space. It's more, which it does, don't get me wrong, but that's not anything that is compared to the confidence you get in your own word. And so, bro, I remember being so confident in what me, what I was saying I was going to do will get done. Like, bro, I was thinking about like crazy scenarios of like, meteors coming down and like blowing the ground in front of me and figuring out a way to still run through the rubble like that's how much i was committed to my word and that's what the program gave me and so after 75 hard i was still heavy as shit like i was still probably 280 290 or something like that and i decided i was going to run a half marathon at the end of uh, on day 76 and on day 76 or day 75 i wake up and i look at the weather app and it's like sunny tomorrow but today it's raining and it's pouring rain and it's like cold one of the cold days of the year and i picked to do it on day 76 the day 75 the the harder day and that's something i can't even comprehend doing before that because right before that i would skip workouts for the dumbest reasons like it'd be spitting rain and i would skip that workout it would be I, my headphones would be dead. I would skip a workout because my headphones were dead. I didn't have music to listen to. Like the dumbest excuses that you, that seems so valid to you when you're in it. But when you look back and you're like, bro, what, what are you even talking about? How could you even think that is a valid excuse to skipping a workout or skipping something you even committed to, to begin with. And so what it does was, what it does is it give, makes you a person of your word. It makes you makes your word mean so much to you. And the more and more you can keep your word to yourself, the more confidence you're able to build in who you are, because we lie to ourselves all the time. And every time you lie to yourself and don't keep a promise that you committed to doing reduces your confidence into nothing. 
And that's why people can't look at someone in the eye and talk because they say that the eye is the window to your soul, right? Yep. And and so the reason why you can't look at someone in the eye and just speak is because you're afraid of what they're going to see because they can see down your deepest, darkest soul because you can't hide that shit in your eyes. And so that's what this program did for me after 75 Heart. Yeah, no, that's so real. And it's I people think that the way you talk to yourself and the way that you treat yourself is very different than the way you would treat other people, which is not true at all. You know, like we all have two voices in our head, whether you want to call them the angel on your shoulder, the devil on your shoulder, the boss voice, the bitch voice, like whatever you want to call them, we all have them. And you're always, it's always a tug of war between these two voices. And so you would, you, you interact with these voices just like you would another person. And, and, Mm -hmm. Confidence in yourself is the same as confidence in in another person. The reason you lose confidence in a person is because they don't stick to their word. The reason you lose trust in a person is because they, 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 they say they do one thing and then they do another thing. And your relationship to yourself is the exact same way you, you, you view yourself the same way you view someone else. And that's why one of my favorite, uh, rules from Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life is to treat yourself as if you're somebody you're responsible for taking care of, because it's literally the case. You know, if you treat yourself like you, like you're, you're just, you're dragging along you, the adult version of yourself that does all the right things is dragging along the child version of yourself that wants to do whatever feels good. Like that's really what it's like. So if you can just master that relationship and get your adult voice to be the, be the one that, that, calls the shots and and takes the action, then you're going to, you're going to be in a much better position. Um, So you did 75 hard. At what point do you, did you feel like, okay, I am, I am never going back. Honestly, I don't think there's a specific point for me that like, I felt that was the way I'm never going back. I just continuously did more and more difficult things and kept pushing up that going back was never an option for me. Like, Mm -hmm. so for example, I was very, very cognizant of every step that I would push up to, that would be the new standard. I I hate going backward, bro, uh, backwards, bro. Like I hate it. I hate having to work back to a place that I already was. Like, could you imagine how, where I could be now if, if what I started at 16, I kept all the way through till 29. And so I wait, like quote unquote wasted Yep. five, six years that I could have been pushing up to come back to a place that I already was at one point. And so every time I pushed up in, in terms of my running distance, my running speed, my weights at the gym, that became the new benchmark. And so I was always looking the next week, how do I top that? And how do I top that? And so going back was never really something in my mind. It's like, for me, it's mainly how can I keep pushing forward rather than even, because there's no such thing as maintenance. Like, let me put, let me make that straight. There's no such thing as maintaining your current position. You're, you're on a hill 24 seven, you're either moving up and your, your foot's on the gas or you're let you take your foot off the gas and you're moving back. And people think that, you know, once I get to the place where I want to be, once I make this X amount of money, or once I lose this amount of weight, I'm just going to scale back the effort that got me to that place and then maintain that is a sure way of going 180 back to your original self. Yep. There's no such thing. Yeah, no, I, I always liken it to like a, if you're on a, 
you're if you're moving up an escalator that's going down, right? Like if you stand in the same spot, it's, you're going to end up at the bottom. And if you do minimal work, you're going to be able to stay in the same spot. But if you want to get ahead and you actually want to get to the top, you're going to have to push harder than everyone else is. And um, and yeah, so I guess what I meant by the question was like uh, when you first started seventy five hard, you didn't you had this this mindset of I'm not sure if it's something that I'll be able to do, you know, consistently. At what point did you stop feeling that? At what point did you feel like I can do whatever I set my mind to? Honestly, like probably by day 45, day 45 is when I gained the most confidence in what I was doing. Cause I've went through some crazy shit during that 45 days. Like, so not, well, not crazy by today's standard, but by that standard where I was then, like on day 37, I got super sick. Apparently it was COVID. I don't know what it was, but I got super sick to the point where I had a, like a high ass fever and I was sleeping all day. This was day 37. And so I'd wake up in the morning. I'd go for an hour long walk. And those walks were almost harder than the runs that I was doing. Cause I was that sick. And I'd come back, do the reading, do all the other tasks and then sleep for the rest of the day, sleep off the fever, wake up in the evening do my second walk for a whole hour. And I did that for three days. And so after I passed through that is when I knew like anything that I do now while I'm healthy physically, like I'm not sick or anything is easier than what I did then. And so that's, that's, that's kind of, that was the pivotal moment is continuing on. Cause bro, everyone was telling me like, just rest up, man. Like just not like basically telling me to quit but not from like a bad place because a lot of people that tell you to quit you think it's coming from a bad place but it it does come from a caring place sometimes like your parents exactly like your parents your friends they're actually worried about you they want your best interest in some sense but they don't realize that your best interest if it's not going to kill you is to get through this hump of the difficult part and so uh, you know, I, I don't think anyone would have knocked me for having quick being how sick I was, but I, just getting through that and making it out on the other side is what gave me the confidence to believe that anything I do going forward is not as it, it gave me that reference experience. And that's what I was collecting. Just reference ex- experiences of me getting through difficult things. Yeah, that's that is a personal victory that a lot of people don't get to experience. And that's yeah. why they so few actually understand it because every every other person that let's take the average person you know the most most people when they get to a position like that they've been told their whole life is that's where they're supposed to stop you know like mm-hmm. and that's that's their reference point that's their standard that's most people's standard and you're right they are looking out for you but they're looking out for you through a wrong the wrong lens Mm -hmm. it's just it's just a perspective Mm -hmm. that they don't have because they've never been in a position where they face such adversity they've had their back against the wall and they've still pushed forward anyway that's Mm -hmm. something that so few people have and it's why when i talk to people that are sort of in that position they're doing 75 hard they're doing some endeavor whether it's starting whatever you know and they they're in a position where everything looks bad and and the most logical thing for them to do would be to stop and to take their ball and mm-hmm. go home mm-hmm. i'm usually the one guy that's telling them keep going right cuz mm-hmm. what's on the other side of that is so valuable and it's something that nobody can take away from you and it's something that you'll never forget because the next time you're in a position like that 
you'll know. It's like you said, the reference point, you'll know what it was like the last time and what you felt like after you pushed through. And so, yeah, that, that is a, that is, that is something that a lot of people don't get to experience, but they could, if they, if they so chose, but so few do, unfortunately. Um, It's tough to, sorry, just cut you off. Just a little quick note on that. No, because that that's a great point because the one person who wasn't tell who was telling me to push forward was my boy Mike who started 75 hard uh the year before which is why I started he was the one person that was telling me to go forward and so this is a point to why it's really important who you surround yourself with because if you have ki- a bunch of killers around you who are looking for like becoming the best they could possibly be that is what's going to push you forward. You, they say you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And guys, if you don't have that around you, it's fine. You haven't there. That is the valuable part of the internet. Like people like Matt surrounding yourself with people like Matt surrounding yourself with people like Goggins or, or, you know, James Lawrence or people who've done crazy shit. Cause that's what I did when I did 75 hard too is that's who I was looking to. And so I set the standards so high that it made me believe what I was doing was nothing. Like whether that, even if they were, what they said they were doing was fake, me believing them and saying what they're actually doing, it was enough to give you the belief that I could do it because they're doing something a hundred times more difficult. And so you need to surround yourself with people like that. If you can't get that in person, that is the benefit. One of the very many benefits of the internet and also comes with a bunch of bad stuff too for but sure like that's one of the best benefits you can get is just access to other people doing crazy shit yeah there's a lot of people around me especially that that don't get it and i'm i'm fine with that you know like they're comfortable they live their life they do what they want they're they're happy right but mm-hmm. when i when i choose to push myself through a program like 75 hard, or, you know, it's, it's my birthday or it's Christmas or if it's July 4th or whatever. And everyone's like, come on, it's just one, you know, it's like these people don't get it, but there's people that I follow. There's people that I talk to on the internet. There's people that I'm connected with that do get it. And Mm -hmm. so I just have to remind myself of that. You know, if you, and if you are just aware of people like Goggins who all of their dirty laundries out on the internet that you can find and all his entire stories there. And if you're aware of that and you're going to let a little bit of peer pressure, you know, get to you, then, mm-hmm. then you're not cut out for it, but it, it's a very, it, it's Goggins, especially just because, you know, he, he, like you was one of those guys that just, was overweight, was the lazy guy, was it's not like he was born David Goggins, you know, mm-hmm. he, he transformed himself into that. And he's, he has every single excuse that one person could possibly have, you know, he has all the trauma. He has all, he was dealt with racism, dealt with everything and still became David Goggins. So like mm-hmm. every single time that I'm pressured by one of these decisions or someone tells me to stop, I think about guys like him. Because mm-hmm. like you said, the, the, that's some of the most valuable, um, the most valuable connections for lack of a better term, because I'm not really connected mm-hmm. to David Goggins, mm-hmm. but, you know, mm-hmm. just knowing that experience, knowing that mm-hmm. story, it's like, you can't, you can't, mm-hmm. you, no excuse you have is good enough. For sure. 
for sure. Um, there's there's someone out there that's doing a lot more with a lot less for than sure. what you have. Like every per, like you are not the worst person in the worst position in the world. I can guarantee you that. For sure. Absolutely. So um looking ahead, you so you've made this radical transformation. What's your what's your what's your goals now? What are you what are you trying to do now? Physically? Um, just let's, let's, I would say, what are your, what's your, what's your North star now? Yeah. Like what I'm working toward now is literally just going as far as I can in every single thing that I do. And so with my business, I'm looking to add as much value to people's life and rather than just dropping products that look cool with no story, with no end message to someone or helping someone progress through life. So that's our goal with our business with fitness specifically, like as crazy as this sounds, cause they see the transformation and they think that is my main goal. All my physical goals are mental, mental, fo- like centered around mental growth. And so what can push me the most mentally? And so I plan to run another marathon and try to beat my pace from last time I plan to do um eventually eventually my end goal would be to run like an ultra marathon like 100 kilometers and so all these things are mental focus it's not about my physical transformation or keeping up my physical appearance it's more about how can i push myself to the brink of death mentally and still make it out because you know once you continuously do these things it becomes harder to get these reference experiences because you need to do more And so you continuously have to find crazier and crazier things to do to build that reservoir. Cause I already have a shit ton of things under my belt. Like I've already ran a marathon. I've already ran a half marathon at 290 pounds. And so that is my goal is to just continuously do crazier and crazier things. That's it, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Well, I will, I will open the floor if Emmanuel here has a question. If it, I'll give it a second. Yeah. Uh, if the answer is no, then I will. We'll we'll wrap this up. Yes. Hi. I do have a question. Thank you for asking. Sure. I I want to understand uh, his story. So to bridge the timeline, I'm wondering the the event we spoke of where he thought he was having a heart attack. And the event where things finally clicked for him, where he where he couldn't enjoy his vacation in Hawaii. What for? What like? What's the gap between those two incidents? Because yeah. it's hard for me to imagine going through that. That the the time where you thought you almost died wouldn't be uh, the moment where it clicked. You know, I'm sure it's like something that you take into account, or, or something that yeah. influenced the clicking, but. Yeah, you I would know. think Did that you... you would think that is the moment, but it's not. Bro, that that is literally what I said <laughs> to anyone who asked that question. Is literally that is the thing. Is like, how was that not the pivotal moment for you, bro? Like, it does not make any sense. Believe it or not, that happened in 2018. That panic situation, and I didn't make a change until 2021. So it was three years, and I think the reason was is because between 2020 or 2018 to 2021. I, I started working out, quote unquote, but it was like three days a week. I would eat healthy three, four days a week. So it was enough to keep me at baseline where I'm not like breaking down anymore, but and keep me coasting. But it wasn't enough to have a mental shift in my identity because I was still the fat kid 
who worked out occasionally and that was enough to get my mental health in the right area quote unquote like just like a general direction but it wasn't enough to change my identity of who i was yeah you you convince yourself that you're trying you know yeah, by working exactly out. and that got me three years but it obviously didn't cause any physical change enough for it to sustain long-term success yeah I mean, I, I can sort of relate to that too, because I, the, mo like the, the panic attacks and all that, like that was probably some of the worst moments of my life, but it wasn't the moment that, that shifted things for me. What actually shifted things for me personally was understanding that I like sitting down with myself and being like, okay, what do you want? I want to have a business. I want to own a home. I want to have a family. I want all these things. And then the question became like, okay, are you the type of person that can do that? The answer is no. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that was really the moment that shifted it for me was understanding that I want all these things, but I, even if you gave them to me right now, I would fumble the bag completely because I'm just not that guy. And mm -hmm. so I can sort of relate to you in the sense like the 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 worst parts of your life where like you had the most like uh despair incentive yeah it, the the most incentive wasn't the actual moment you know it was it was it was more so um understanding that if I if I want to get where I want to go then I have to change some shit um yeah. but cool well Bishoy I appreciate you coming on where where can where can people find you yeah, Instagram is probably the best bet. It's just my name, Bishoy Kella, B-I-S-H-O-I-K-H-E-L-L-A. And bro, thank you for having me, man. I've been watching you for a long time and I love everything you're doing. There's very few that are able to convey their thoughts the way you do in such a great way. And bro, I respect you heavily for that. I appreciate it, man.